I showed you that trailer about Dodds because in the natural you think, how can a conscientious objector ever do any good in a wartime situation? But here's a guy uh, full of the love of God who absolutely went out and transformed his world. And in fact, I saw a This Is Your Life program on this particular man and they brought back for that particular program quite a number of the men that he had saved uh, and the impact that he had on their lives. Because um, today I want to talk about the power of the transformed life. When my kids were young, uh, on one of my overseas trips, I brought back, I think it was from Hong Kong, a bunch of toys uh, that had the ability to transform. This is in the days before the movies, guys. Uh, These things were absolutely amazing. We bought one that was a boat that actually went. And I remember them using it in the bath, and they trans- and then they pushed a few buttons and pulled it out, and it transformed into a mighty warrior. And uh, these things were just absolutely super, super robots. They had the ability to do all types of things that they couldn't do in the original form. They transformed into something better, something more powerful, and the kids just really, really, really loved them. And why I mention that is because most of us have a fascination with transformation, whether it's a caterpillar being transformed into a beautiful butterfly. Uh, My grandkids uh, had a chrysalis, a monarch chrysalis, which they kept inside, which they watched transform and which they watched fly away. And every monarch butterfly that they see, oh, there goes Tilly. There goes Tilly. I haven't got the heart to tell them that Tilly died a few years back. But um, they love it. Uh, We get Fascinated with transformation, whether it's beauty in the beast, you know, that kiss of love changing the dying beast into a handsome prince. We have a fascination with transformation. Something or someone ordinary transforming into someone extraordinary just captures our imagination, whether it's mild manner reporter Clark Kent transforming into Superman or whether it's the high school student Peter Parker uh, becoming the hero that we call Spider-Man. We are fascinated with transformations because in our heart of hearts, we hold on to the hope that with a miracle, ordinary people like you and I can become extraordinary and make a difference in this life. That miracle is a reality because we've been created in the image of God. We've been created with a plan and a purpose in mind. On the outside, we might look ordinary, but within us are the seeds of transformation, the possibility to make a difference, to fulfill a meaningful destiny. But for this to happen, we need to see transformation from perhaps what we are to who we've been created by God to be. And the transformation is what the Bible calls being born again. Before that transformation, we just know that something's missing in our life and life doesn't really make sense. And that something that is missing is a relationship with God. Transformation in our lives happen 
as we have an encounter with Jesus or as we hear and respond to the gospel or the good news. Now, the good news message that most of us have heard and most of us here this morning have responded to would be something like this. God's real and he made you and he wants to have a relationship with you. I remember the first thing that happened when I was born again was I just had this knowing, this absolute assurance that God was real. That God, this God that I'd heard about in children's church was actually real. Second thing about the good news is that every one of us have sinned. Every one of us messed up. And it's our sin that separates us from God. The third thing that we know is that Jesus Christ, God's son, came to earth and allowed himself to be killed so that he could take the punishment that our sins deserved. And fourthly, Jesus rose from the dead, proving that what he said was true, and now that if we were to repent of our sins, say that we're sorry for the things that we've done, and trust in him for our salvation, we'll be forgiven, we'll be accepted, we'll be indwelt by his spirit, and we'll start a relationship with God. Good news, by the way, is not good advice. What's the difference between good advice and good news? Well, News is something that has already happened. Advice is something which we might want to do. So when we pray, when we read the Word, when we obey God's guidelines for living, we do it not because we're trying to earn eternal life. We do those things as a response to what Jesus has already done for us. We don't do those things as a response to our perhaps trying to earn eternal life. If we are trying to earn eternal life by doing a whole pile of stuff, then probably we don't appreciate the magnitude of our sin and the enormous price that has already been paid for that by Jesus Christ. The Bible is full of transformation stories, stories of men and women hearing the good news about Jesus and being transformed by the power of God. And one of these is in Acts chapter 9, and I want to read this this morning and use this as a launching pad, basically, to talk about change in our own lives. So Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he, if he found any there who belonged to the way where the men were wound, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. What shall I do, Lord, he asked. Now, get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. 
The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but didn't see anybody. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, didn't eat or drink anything. And in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all who heard him were astonished. What an amazing transformation. I mean, Saul was the greatest persecutor of Christians at that time. He goes from hating Christians to following Jesus Christ. He goes from persecuting the followers of Jesus to preaching about Jesus, all because he had an encounter with Jesus Christ that absolutely transformed his life. And I can, I, I can just identify with that because when I was born again in the Spirit of God in the university, suddenly all those things that I had learnt in the Word of God as a Sunday school student at a Presbyterian church, suddenly all those scriptures just suddenly came alive. And I can imagine Saul, who was um, a great Bible scholar, all those scriptures, all those things in the Bible that he had already learnt when he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, suddenly I can imagine those things all suddenly becoming alive. And he's just experiencing a, a just an overwhelming sense of not only the knowledge of God, but the experience of knowing God, and he's just going to tell people about it. Suddenly, all those things that he's learned all come into place. Now, Saul was a guy who had everything going for him. He had a rich heritage. He was born into the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Jew amongst Jews, not only that. But because of the standing of his family, he was able to procure Roman citizenship. So he had the best of both worlds. He was well-educated. He was trained at the feet of Gamaliel, one of Israel's greatest teachers of that day. He was ambitious. He advanced quickly up the ranks of the Pharisees. and had the ability, the desire, and the talent to exceed all of his peers. He was incredibly religious. I mean, he was blameless according to the law of, the, of Moses. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was very zealous for the faith of his fathers and absolutely convinced that he was doing the will of God. The amazing thing is that despite all of this, Saul was actually working against God's plans and purposes rather than for them. But God had a better plan for Saul's life. God had Saul's number. And he knew exactly what was needed to give Saul the opportunity to turn his life around. And as we know, Saul changed his name to Paul. And Paul ended up writing 
um, a good chunk of the New Testament. This morning, not only does, did God have Saul's number, but he's got your number. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, God's got your number. By the way, it's um, great, to have, um, great to have with us Pastor Jonathan Young, who is the National MP for New Plymouth with us. Can you stand up, Jonathan? Good to see you. One of our Christian politicians whom we want to see a lot, lot more of. Amen? Amen? The fact that you're here this morning means that you have an opportunity for transformation. God says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and give you a hope. Many of you would have heard Tony Campolo from time to time. He's had a number of visits to New Zealand and he was telling us one time about the moment that he was preaching in a Pentecostal college in the United States and before he was due to speak, he was gathered in the back room, as was the habit, basically, and there was a bunch of guys in the back room uh, putting their hands on him, praying him before he was sent out to preach uh, the gospel. Uh, as they prayed, one of the men didn't pray for Campolo at all or for the meeting. Instead, the, men, the man went out and started praying for some guy named Charlie Stoltzfus. And uh, this guy was saying, dear Lord, uh, you know Charlie Stoltzfus, he lives in that silver trailer down the road about a mile. You know that trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side about a mile? And Campolo's saying to himself, knock it off, fella. Don't you think that God knows where this guy is? You don't have to keep on reminding him by repeating his address. Anyway, this guy goes on and on and on. Lord, Charlie told me this morning that he's decided to leave his wife and three kids. He told me that he was walking out on his family. Lord, step in, do something, bring that family back together again. And he kept on going on and on and on about Charlie Saltzfus, leaving his wife and kids and giving God a constant reminder that he lived in a silver trailer about a mile down the road on the right-hand side. Finally, prayers are finished. Kapala goes out, preaches, after he's finished, he gets in his car. He's driving down the motorway, heading for home. And as he gets onto the motorway, he notices a hitchhiker. And since preachers like captive audiences, he stops and picks this guy up. They drive for a few minutes, and Campolo says, Hi, my name's Tony Campolo. What's your name? The guy said, My name's Charlie Stoltzfus. <laughs> Campolo couldn't believe it. Next turn, he exits off the motorway, and the guy says, where are you going? And uh, he says, I'm taking you home, because you just left your wife and three kids, right? <laughs> this, this guy is absolutely petrified. <laughs> He's with shock written all over his face. He plasts himself on the, on the passenger side door. It's, can't keep his eyes off Campolo. Campolo drives off the motorway, backtracks, goes down. Then one mile down the road on the right-hand side, there's the silver trailer. <laughs> when they arrived, Stolford said with bulging eyes, 
how do you know I lived here? How do you know I was leaving my family? And Kampala replied, God told me. <laughs> he ordered him out and into the trailer, and he spent the afternoon talking with them, praying with them. Their marriage was restored, and he led both of them to Jesus Christ. And today, Charlie Stoltfus is a minister in California. How's that for a turnaround? See, both the story and the scriptures that we read show us that God had Charlie's number, he had Saul's number, and the Bible tells us that he's got your number too. Psalm 139, verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar off. That's scary, isn't it? You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Lord, you hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If you don't know God, that's a scary thing. But if you do know God, thank him right now. Thank you, Lord, that you know us. You've got our number. You know everything about our situations and our circumstances. You know the decisions that we're going to have to make. And you know which decisions we should be making. And all you're awaiting is for us to plug into you. He knows everything about us because he made us and he loves us. The first thing that Saul says when he is blinded is, Lord, who are you? Pretty good first question. See, if we're going to be everything that God's planned and purpose for us to be, then we need to know God. We need to know Him first up. Without Jesus, Saul was incapable of fulfilling his destiny. Saul's family heritage wasn't enough. Saul's education wasn't enough. Saul's money wasn't enough. His standing in the community wasn't enough. His religion wasn't enough. He needed a transformation, and that transformation starts with an encounter with Jesus Christ. Your background is not the key to your future. The decisions that you make today are what is important. And most of you will be able to think back to the time when you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and to change you. Sometimes, as the years go by, we drift back into old patterns and think that we have to do a whole pile of stuff to get God's favor. That's the wrong way around, people. We do a whole pile of stuff because we love God and we're so appreciative of what he's done for us. You remember that time in the Gospels where a woman who had been a prostitute came and broke an alabaster bottle of oil over Jesus, washed his feet with her hair, and Judas, who wasn't exactly born again, who is the money man, 
basically responds to this act of love by saying, what a waste of money. We could have taken that, sold it, and to put a religious context to it, and given it to the poor. But Jesus said, hey, can't you see that this woman loves me so much because she's been forgiven so much? And when you realize, people, how much you have been forgiven, when you realize the price that's been paid, the fact that our sins are what drove the nails into Jesus Christ's hand, when we realize the damage that we did by not living for Jesus Christ, then when we get that opportunity... Something wells up within us and we just want to serve him. We just want to respond to him. We want to do everything that we can to give him pleasure. The second thing that Saul says, once he knows that it's Jesus, he says, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? That's a pretty scary thing, putting your life in somebody else's hands. What do you want me to do? Well, God then tells Saul the next step. We need to follow God's plans and his leading in our lives. It's not enough for you to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. We need to respond to the Lord by surrendering control of our life to him and making him number one in life. And you find that when you release the control of your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ, just a huge burden is lifted. I love that scripture which says that the heart of a king is like streams of water in the hands of the Lord. He can turn it this way or that. And it doesn't matter what you're doing, if your heart is in God's hands, then you can have that assurance that he will lead you one step at a time, this way or that way. It's just one step at a time. What's the next thing that you want me to do? I think I spoke to you a few weeks back about the steps of a good man being ordered by the Lord. How Stephen and I never had a vision for ministry, unlike my older boy Peter, who had a vision to go and lead worship. Stephen and I never had a vision for ministry, but God... Because he had our hearts, could guide us and lead us. And this morning, if your heart is in the hands of the Lord, you can have that peaceful assurance that he can guide you and he can lead you any way that he wants to take you. If your heart is in the hands of the Lord, there is just an incredible peace and rest that comes from knowing that you are where God wants you to be. If you haven't got your heart in the hands of the Lord, there is an incredible anxiety that comes from straddling a barbed wire fence. 
knowing that you're going to be nicked any time. The reality is we need to be 100% serving God. We're going to spend eternity with him or without him. So now is a great time to accept his loving leadership in our lives because of everything that he has already done for us. Because God loves us so much, he sent Jesus to die in our place so that we can have eternal life when we really don't deserve it. Some of you are living beneath your change potential because you haven't realized that price and that sacrifice that has been made for you to have eternal life. And so if there's an area of your life and your lifestyle which you don't allow God to change, and trans- then transformation in your life will be small and the difference that you will make in this world will be small compared to your surrendered potential. Saul made a difference because he realized that Jesus Christ had died for him And so the least that Saul could do was to completely follow Jesus. In fact, he said to the Philippian church, he said, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. So all those things that Saul had were like rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ, to knowing the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. His relationship with God was everything. So often we get caught up, people, trying to do a whole pile of stuff for God when God wants us just to take time out and reflect on knowing him because what we do will come out of that relationship what we do will flow from our knowing of him you will never become what God's created you to be without asking Jesus Christ to come into your life and then completely surrendering control to him but the reality is you can make a difference in this world right now and you don't have to wait until you are perfect before you use your time and your talents and your resources for the Lord if you're part of this church then you are already making a huge difference not just in Whangarei but in Kaitaia Uh, as you would know uh, Penny or Stephen or Pastor Pam and I uh, go up to Kaitaia, uh, two of us at least each month. So we provide half of the pulpit ministry into that church there. Kaitaia is a community that is absolutely hurting. One of my friends was telling me that they say that one in three households in Kaitaia is involved with P. One in three. And of course, that one in three impacts the other three. There is no hope for Kai Tyre outside of total transformation through Jesus Christ. But we've planted a church up there, which is now one of the largest churches in the city. And we're believing for city transformation because there's a bunch of people up there, just like you, just like me, who believe that through 
Jesus Christ working through them, we can do anything. We can do anything. And we can impact that place. Every Thursday night, we're praying for Kai Tyre. Every Thursday night, we're praying for Rotorua as well. We've planted a church down there. And we're believing that God is going to transform these communities as those communities see the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, but not just the power and the authority, but the love of God moving in us and moving through us. Not only can you be changed, but you can transform your world. You can ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. You can completely surrender to him. You can use your time and your talents and your resources to make a difference for his kingdom. Let's have the musicians. Saul showed us that no matter what your background might be with Jesus, one person can make a difference. We can make a difference for our family. We can make a difference for God's creation. We can make a difference for future generations. We can make a difference for God. But we have to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. You know, one of the reasons why Pastor Jonathan Young is only one of 11 or 12 Christian politicians in Parliament is because we've had a whole generation who were told that the pinnacle of serving God was to become a minister. The pinnacle of serving God is to use the gifts that you have been given the desires that God has placed in your heart and use them to the full potential. We need more Christian builders. We need more Christian lawyers. We need more Christian doctors and nurses. We need more Christian politicians. We need more Christian business people. We need more Christian shopkeepers. We need more Christian housewives. We need more Christians in every area of society because society isn't going to change just from this pulpit. Society is going to change as we take the power of the Holy Spirit, which is living within us, and we go out there into the community and we act as Jesus acted out there. Every one of us here this morning can make a difference in our lives if you would allow the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to take control of your life, if you will say yes to Jesus and you will say, God, what do you want me to do? Young people, don't just look for the university with the best scholarships offering. Pray. Ask God to guide you and lead you. Ask Him to put His desires in your heart. And then he will give you the delights of your heart. He'll give you the desires of your heart and put you on a track that will make a difference in 5, 10, 20 years' time. But the first start, the first point, the first point of difference always comes through surrendering to Jesus Christ. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.